Listen, there has never been a better time to invest in self-storage, and there is no better team than ours to show you how to do it. Because we wrote the book on how to invest in self-storage. Literally, I created the best-selling home study system back in 2007, titled How to Find, Evaluate, Purchase, and Manage Self-Storage Facilities. And since then, we have helped thousands of people launch and scale their self-storage business and have now become the nation's go-to resource for all things self-storage. And that's because we not only talk the talk, we walk the walk. Day in and day out since 2005 through now two recessions and amassing a 2.5 million square feet of self-storage, totaling over 15,000 doors nationwide. There is nobody else that has more experience in self-storage that is teaching people how to invest in self-storage than our team. So if you're ready to launch and scale your self-storage business, then go to selfstorageinvesting.com. Click on the events tab to grab your ticket to the upcoming Self-Storage Academy, along with tickets to our virtual academy for those who can't make it or just aren't ready to go live at this time. So that, again, is selfstorageinvesting.com. Click on the event tab, but do it now as seating is limited. So go do it now. And on behalf of my team, we look forward to seeing you then. Take care. This is the Self Storage Podcast, where we share the knowledge and skills from the industry's leading investors, developers, and operators to help you launch and grow your self storage business. I'm your host, Scott Myers, and over the past 16 years, we have acquired, developed, converted, and syndicated over 2 million square feet of self storage nationwide with the help of my incredible team at selfstorageinvesting.com, who has helped thousands of people achieve greatness in self storage. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Self Storage Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Myers, and this week we have a returning guest, Mr. Jesse Luke with Equicap Commercial. Jesse is a commercial real estate broker who has operated exclusively in the self-storage marketplace since 2006. For a number of years, he worked for a large firm before opening his own boutique office in 2009, where he focuses primarily on buyer and seller representation of self-storage properties located in the Midwest, Mid-South, and Southeastern markets. Jesse first represented me as a buyer in 2007 and has been mentoring our students as part of our team at the Self-Storage Academy since 2010. I'm extremely grateful Jesse took some time out to share what he is seeing in the marketplace with regards to activity levels, cap rates, and his insights on where we're headed in the escalating interest rate environment we are finding ourselves in. So without further ado, let's dive into my conversation with my broker and one of our rock star coaches, Mr. Jesse Lou. Hey, Jesse, good to see you again. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me, Scott. As always, it's a pleasure. We've been having a lot of discussions, as always, with regards to where the market is right now, what you're seeing out there. And again, so thankful for you and thankful for taking the time out today. Folks, as we mentioned in the bio, Jesse Luke is uh, transacting a number of deals and absolutely has his finger on the, the pulse of what's going on in the industry. And so we thought in the course of uh, discussing where the market is and for today's discussion, timely to discuss cap rates. And we get asked a lot about, Scott, where do I buy a class A, B, C facility? Where should I be buying? What type of a cap rate are we looking at right now? And the answer is always, it depends. And it's not just because I said so at 9% or that the market three years ago was at 8% for a class C in the secondary tertiary market that we look at cap rates, but there's such a wide ranging discussion and so much context to that, that I thought we would have that discussion with Jesse, who's going to share some of the numbers that he's seeing in the marketplace right now, but then also a brief summary of where we ended up uh, last year and then how we ended up at those numbers. So with that, Jesse, I'll let you launch in and um, just kind of continue the discussion that we've been having here for the past several minutes. Sure. Our discussion that we've been having for the last several minutes is, is really in concert with the discussions that we're having on a regular basis with mm-hmm. first-time buyers ranging to the REITs that are looking to enter a new market. And one of those discussions or those talking points is talk to me about the going in cap rate, talk to me about the exit cap rate, talk to me about where we can take the performance of the property over a one, three, five-year period. And really what they're doing at that point is determining what their cap rate growth incrementally along that timeline, what that looks like. And there is a lot of focus, as always, on 
cap rates going in, cap rates coming out and everything in between. So I had gone through and looked at all of the deals that we did last year. And I think it's relevant to this group because the bulk of the deals that we do, I'm going to classify in a very loving manner, not in a condescending manner, but the bulk of the deals that we do are mom and pop operations, right? There are some institutional grade deals that we do, of course, but for the most part, we're in that owner operator space. So we closed 35 deals last year, an aggregate sales price of 181 million across 11 states. And that allows us to reach in and grab some statistics from a price per square foot perspective, from a going in cap rate perspective, from an average deal size perspective, et cetera. And one of the things that I noticed that I found very interesting is in a market where there's a lot of focus on cap rates, right? It's a major talking point as always. The average cap rate that we sold properties for was a 4.98% cap. That's not a tremendous spread between the interest rate and the cap rate, but I think it's a good reflection of how folks are viewing the level of security in this space, risk level, right? Cap rates float with risk, and it's how they're viewing the long-term perspective of revenue growth. And they're comfortable buying a compressed cap rate from the onset with the understanding that they're going to be able to grow that NOI and that cap rate over their hold period. If I could, Jesse, I want to make one point here. There's folks that are out in the market at that institutional level. As you mentioned, Jesse, you deal with a fair amount of those, but that's not the bulk of your buyer's portfolio and what their criteria looks like. But as we've been talking to folks that we work with that come through our academy, the question of cap rate comes up and usually followed by the secondary question, which is, how can we make any money buying at a four cap or a five cap when interest rates are at five? Where's the yield? We talk about debt yield and how to figure this and everybody's scratching their head thinking we're talking out of both sides of our mouth when they recognize in the market. First of all, what I want to clarify is you had mentioned that, you know, that folks are buying here with confidence in the sector, in the economy, and that there's going to be growth and depending upon where the facility is in terms of occupancy and rental rates. Mm-hmm. But what I don't want people to get confused with is that, that you should, if your debt, your cost of capital is at 5%, the debt that you're taking on with the bank is at 5% and you're buying something at a 5%, that is absolutely not the scenario that we want um, you to get into because that obviously risky and Many folks I've heard say over and over again, and you have as well, Jesse, that, well, I just want to get one under my belt and I'll make it up on the next one or it'll come in time. And that is the wrong way to invest. The folks that are buying at a cap rate of 5%, those institutional folks, you got to recognize their cost of capital is significantly less. They've got 2% money from a large fund that they're borrowing from or who they are doing joint ventures with, or they've got cash, which is 0%. And so, yes, they are still buying on yield. They also get those benefits of economies of scale of folding something into their portfolio and having a website and marketing costs and some of those variable costs that are minimized by folding it into the mix, but recognize that they yield right up front and doing their underwriting looking forward 12 months, they've already got a yield built into it because their cost of capital is low. So I guess I just want to make that distinction first. And to piggyback on what you said there, we're under contract on a portfolio, for-property portfolio, institutional grade assets, 378,000 net rentable square feet, top of class finishes. The properties are physically occupied in the upper 80%. There's room for economic occupancy growth because the, the properties are just coming out of stabilization. So the management company is now turning on the revenue yield management side of things to grow the, the in-place rents. And 
We went to market on that deal. We had multiple offers. We ended up picking a REIT as a buyer and they're at a, a sub 4% cap rate on a fairly stabilized asset. And I had a couple of private guys call me and they're like, how can we compete with that? And my response was simple. And it's the same response that I give a lot of your students that are looking in that quasi REIT market space, call it 5 million and up where the funds and the REITs are chasing those deals. You don't compete with it. Let them have it. It's okay. Let those guys overlay their 2% cost of capital, their low yield requirements on a deal that they want and move on to the next one that makes good financial sense. And you made another point in, in discipline underwriting strategies. Take the emotion out of, of course, we want a deal under our belt. We want to get our first deal closed and start to grow our business. But you have to do it in a very thoughtful and meaningful manner. And it all really hinges on your ability to underwrite well, your ability to understand the intricacies of the individual marketplace that property lies within, compare it to its competitors from an occupancy perspective, from a rate perspective, overlay appropriate expenses. So if you're going to go on the aggressive side of the cap rate scale, and you're going to make that educated decision on the front end, you just have to clearly be able to map out how you're going to grow that NOI over time. And that comes from, first of all, years of experience. Secondly, understanding the asset class, understanding the marketplace, the properties, and really having a good group of folks around you if you're not proficient in this underwriting skill set to kind of guide your hand and be a good set of eyes for you. There definitely is an art and a science to underwriting and years of experience. And I continue to learn about underwriting and not just looking at current market conditions, but just other ways that we learn from experience and from maybe getting our knuckles banged up, even still after 17 years, because we didn't underwrite facility properly to begin with. We continue to learn from that. But also, as we stressed before, having a solid business plan in place, not only for your company, but then each asset that you bring in, the underwriting may be slim and not uh, what you would like it to be in a short time frame, but if your exit strategy is a little bit longer and you can enjoy those cash flows, your overall returns may look much nicer in the timing of the market uh, upon an exit. You know, we're heading into an environment right now where there's going to be some aggressive interest rate hikes, which means that cap rates are going to increase, which means the valuations of facilities is going to go, go down for a period until we get back to the bottom of the bell curve of the recession going back into a, another inflationary period where interest rates will come uh, back down again and therefore valuations will go up. Is that five years? Is that four years, three years? We can only guess uh, from history as to when that'll be, but you need to, as best as you can, plan for that appropriately for your exit. If you have to be out in a certain time frame or refinance in two or three years, you may be caught in, in an interest rate environment that is still high and you have to create a lot of value to be able to exit or refinance profitably or without coming to the closing table with money. So there's many, many factors that go into this as well. So have a plan in place, Get good people around you, obviously, but then always looking long-term, looking at the exit strategy and the timing of that and what that looks like as you head into the underwriting of any project that you embark upon. Keep your finger on the pulse of your operations and the market throughout your hold period. All too many times, owners are focused on or, or buyers are focused on the next deal instead of focusing on the properties that they already own. And there are lingering timelines from a debt perspective that you need to pay attention to. And if we see that the interest rate market is getting away from us and you're three years into a five-year note that has a prepayment penalty, well, it may make sense financially 
to swallow the prepayment penalty and lock in another five or seven year term on your interest rate just to hedge that inflation risk. And I think that's a real time talking point in today's market because the rates are getting away from us right now. So folks that bought a property over the last two or three years with interest rates in the three and 4% range that have timelines coming up over the next year, they may want to refinance now and just start that process early, or they may want to sell. There's your opportunity for the folks that are buying in the market today. So one of the overarching discussion points in this, I have minority partnerships in a number of facilities. And and again, we consult and teach people about this business. And when the discussion comes up as to when to refinance and lock in rates or sell, that's the time when then people begin to dig into their numbers even further. And then they feel as if, okay, I need to create a whole lot of value right now (laughs) to underwrite this, to get the number that I want or need. And if that is the case, and you're looking to refinance in 30 days or list in 30 days, you're too late. You may be able to get some, you know, a couple of incremental pieces in place, but recognizing underwriting for valuation purposes, we're going back 12 months, gang. And when you do that, you can't just take the last 12 months numbers and then extrapolate for you know, the, the next 12. Um, that'll get you, you know, only so far in telling that story. But by then it's too late. You need to have this sense of urgency all the time, not just when you're getting ready to refinance or sell, but each and every month you have to be relentless in driving expenses down and, and pushing rates, driving uh, revenue and managing that to, at all costs. Because when you do finally realize that it's time to sell or refinance, you usually don't have the benefit of a, a six-month runway before you're going to make that decision and then begin planning for it. Um, it usually occurs because something has happened in the market or in your business plan that is driving that. And by that point, it's too late. Well, that's a fantastic point that you make. And I think there's a flip side to that point as well, that it really should scream to your folks that are out pounding the pavement, pulling doors, talking to owners right now is more times than not, this is the reality of the business that we're in. There's going to be a gap between an owner's expectation or a seller's expectation and your buyer's expectation on pricing. So your disciplined underwriting strategy says the property is worth a million bucks. Your seller has his hat hung on a million and a half. So your student at that point should sit down with that seller and say, or owner and say, okay, here's why I can't get to a million and a half. Here's what probably needs to be done from a NOI perspective to get your value to that point. And here's a couple opportunities that I think will help you get there. They're playing a consultant, but they're also building a relationship that should hopefully secure their place at the table when that owner is, is ready and when the, the property warrants the sales price that they're looking for. But what it also does, and this is also part of my experience, is it gives you a reason to call back in six months. Scott, we talked about your property six months ago. I gave you a couple of items to really focus on that will allow you to drive the NOI to get to a million and a half. I want to follow up with you and talk to you about how those projects are working for you, where you're seeing success. And let's revisit an offer. In my experience, nine out of 10 times, there's been zero change made to the operation because that owner goes and gets distracted with something else. And again, now you've got a real conversation you can have where... Mm interest rates are getting away from us. Values aren't going to get better in the near term unless you're growing your NOI. So let's talk about the reality of what we're faced with right now. And it Mm -hmm. gives you the opportunity to then go in and defend your original Mm -hmm. offer. Yeah, it takes a little while longer, but you're going to get those those screaming deals that aren't being fought over by 
a bunch of lions trying to eat you know the last leg of the gazelle so clearly letting the seller or potential seller know that you're taking your buyer's hat off and you're putting your consultant's hat on and and sitting down with them and saying, realistically, I'm not your buyer right now because and sharing the underwriting with them, not leaving it with them, but showing them sliding it across the table to say, and here's why. And because at the price that you're looking for, the debt service coverage ratio doesn't make sense and we can't get a loan. And I'm not trying to beat up your property, but I'm just saying this is the realistic place where we're at. So here's some things that you can do if you need this 1.5 million number. Here's some of the changes that you can make, as you just mentioned, Jesse, and help them get to that place. And one of two things will happen, usually nothing, and then you revisit them later. But they've got this now, this understanding that their number is not realistic, the expectations they have for their facility. And then if it's going to trade, it's only going to trade at this price if they want to sell it now. And if they can hold on to it in order to get to their price, they do have some work that needs to be done. But either way, we never want to burn a bridge with a potential seller because that's what separates you from any else and having them give the nod to anybody else because you truly, you told them, I can't buy at this, but I will help you to get a number, whether I'm your buyer or not in the future. I certainly hope I am. And that will go a long ways. Well, Jesse, that is all the time that we have for today. And I know that's all the time that you have for today. It is a busy market that we're in, but I appreciate you jumping on and continuing this conversation with regards to cap rates in the market where we're at right now. So with that, any parting words for Storage Nation out there before we end for the day? No, as always, I love being a part of your group and being in your circle. It's a fantastic organization and it's a fantastic collection of like-minded individuals that are all out fighting to dominate the storage world. So I'm happy to be here. I appreciate you and everything you do for this industry. And yeah, we're back and slugging away at our next deals. Awesome. Well, thanks, Jesse, and appreciate you as well. And looking forward to seeing you at not only our next Academy, hopefully, but then also at the next trade show as well. So with that, once again, uh, thanks for your time, my friend. Appreciate everything you do for us and for our students as well. And we'll see you soon. All the best. All right. Take care. Hey, gang, wait three things before you leave. First, don't forget to subscribe to the Self Storage Podcast and turn on your notifications so you never miss another episode. And while you're there, please leave us a five-star review if you like the show. Second, be sure to share your favorite episodes and more via Instagram, and don't forget to tag us. And lastly, head to the links in the show description and hit the follow and subscribe button on Twitter and Facebook to get a front row seat as we grow and scale our business and bring you along with us. Take care.